Today in the podcast, I speak with Barry Coffing, a band evangelist and music entrepreneur. He has built a series of companies and services that enable musical artists to be fairly paid from the licensing and use of their music. His brand goals are to be fair and transparent in all his dealings and to prove that the really nice guys finish first. He has written a number one hit song. He has been nominated for an Emmy. He has had major publishing, distribution and record deals where he really learned a lot. And he has written over 200 songs for film and TV. He is an award-winning film producer. His specialities in the music business include technology, legal, licensing, distribution, streaming and live events. His specialities in music creation include composition, production and scoring. He is also a gold certified music salesperson. This podcast episode is also available in video format over on YouTube. Click on the link in the description below. Last week, we were speaking about the music business and it's often described as a music jungle because there's so many parts to it and hard to understand. But you last week, when we recorded last episode, you went through the whole procedure in such great detail that it gives anybody a 10,000 foot view of how this whole music business works. Now, in today's episode, what we want to look at, hopefully, is the numbers, the shocking numbers that exist within the music industry of what artists gets, what artists get paid and all of that. So I'll let you take over. Great. So, uh, so I've got the map up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is sort of where we left off with the last one. You know, this is sort of uh, our our uh, version of the map of the music business. It's the products, it's the process, the people. They're all here. You know. Um, so, and so just I, just to I, do a small recap, can we just go back to that one again? Yeah. Just, so we have the music process, which you've broken down into ten steps. Then you have the marketing and promotion process again, which is broken down into a ten step process. You have explained the business management. You've explained all the opportunities, the genres of music that are there. But hugely uh, speaking, when it comes into the music world, you've explained the number of opportunities outside of performance that exist. I keep saying this all the time. So many people get fixated on this notion of if I can't perform or I can't be within that realm, I'm done. Music is not my life, even though I love it. And you're saying, no, there's so many so many things, so many opportunities here. So um, please continue. Yeah, so, and, and, and the other things that I have at the very top are, um, you know, the right is kind of how the products are created, what's really different about the music business, which is there's a little bit of ready, fire, aim mm-hmm. in that uh, we generally start with an, a lone artist or, or somebody creating a product on their own. Like, you know, they've got a product, they have no business, they have no, you know, the legal stuff may not be set up. They take it out in the marketplace. And if it's successful, they run to chase and catch up. They, they support the product that's in the marketplace or that they've seen some heat in the marketplace. And that's a little bit backwards from a lot of traditional businesses. And, and I think then, one, one of the things to highlight as well is market feedback is your friend as an emerging artist. That's what's going to guide you, not what you think is good in your mindset as an artist, it's the market feedback really is the guide. Well, yeah, and it's, um, they may not like the songs that you might like, they may not like the merch that you like, they may not, you know, your audience may not be who you thought they were. Uh, they uh, they select you. 
And and the, the hard part is is that there's there's no selling in music. You may present, you may promote, but they're going to decide if they like it or not. Yeah, it's really it. a feeling. You know, it's triggering those feelings in your audience, isn't it? Getting that yeah. interest. Yeah. Now let's move on to the shock and awe section. The numbers here that you've explained to me before we recorded this interview a number of weeks back are shocking. So um, let's get into some of the numbers concerning the music business. Sure. And I'll, I'll start with, uh, is music worth anything anymore? You get a lot of people going, oh, well, you know, it's not like it used to be. You can't make, there's not really the money in it. And so one of the things I, I did, I'm, I'm a member of the Grammys and we go and we do, uh, you know, we lobby the senators and stuff for, for pro artist legislation. And one of the numbers they gave us is that uh, music accounts for $170 billion a year in economic impact in the U.S. So it's not, you know, it, it's a big part of our economy. It's a big part of what we export. You know, um, the other thing too is we'll start with YouTube. Does, you know, does Google think music's worth anything? Well, one of the most interesting things that came out fairly recently is that, and this has been for a long time, that song is the most commonly searched ter term on YouTube, on all of YouTube. Number one is I'm looking for a song. And they, they have admitted, these are fairly recent numbers, like within the last few months, that 25% of all the viewer hours on YouTube are spent looking for or listening to music. And that accounts for 250 million hours a day. And during that, that music listening time, Google generates around $7 billion in advertising revenue. So is music valuable? Yeah. Is Google That's making a bundle? Yep. That's incredible. Yeah, and that's and that was a you know that was by them at a conference in the UK. You know, these are numbers that, that came from them or like, you know, they're they're they you know they released their their revenue you know their ad revenue about this because they're a public company. So all these things are findable and true. Mm -hmm. um, it just recently in this last week, uh, the numbers that came out on the on the major labels is that they're earning about two point five million an hour from streaming. So there's, there's a ton of money if you're a major label. Um, and that the, you know, the, the music revenue's up by 27% over the first half of last year. So it's really, it's not only is it doing well, but it's climbing. And I would say uh, that's probably because society has been affected by the COVID pandemic, which is pushing people to be online more. And then they're searching for music more. That's probably a contributing factor here, potentially. Yeah, you, we, we thought that, but the truth is um, Spotify and those guys took about an 18 to 14% hit because you know when most people listen to music? On their way to work. Okay. So their numbers actually went down. Now for the film, uh, those guys all went up, you know, but uh, but know that the actual numbers went down for for them. Now it's creeping back up now as people are going to work and, yeah. you know, the offices are returning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that's why it went from 2.1 to 2.5. But initially, it was not the big plus that you would think, which is okay. interesting. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Well, the other misnomer is, is that, oh, the streaming sites, it's all ad money. And okay. uh, first half of 2021, it was $5.9 in revenue, you know, from streaming. And the paid subscriptions accounted for $4.6 So it is not ad revenue. Is now, when you, when you say this streaming site, are you relating this to U.S. numbers? 
Uh, these numbers here, the RIAA are the U.S. numbers. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the total numbers I can show you, I'll show you in another slide. They're, uh, they're close to $20 billion or over $20 billion. It's incredible. I mean, Music is just such a part of society. I mean, this is the proof here. Um, yeah, it's, it's they're, they're, they're making money, you know. They are, yeah. So kind of what I and did. In, just before, sorry, just before you move on, in relation to record labels, um, how are they performing now? Because when you look back prior to internet days, record labels were a big deal. They had it all to themselves. And I mean, you look at things, you know, places like Sony, for example, Sony Records being one of the big ones. How are they performing in this new world compared to the way they would have been in the past? I mean, are, are they still making big contracts with artists? Is there still big money being exchanged between artists and labels? Is that still a thing? It is, and I'm going to have it on another slide um, um, because they are, they're doing better in a lot of ways and they're smaller in a lot of ways. Um, so anyway, so what, what are, are they, are they more cautious when they're signing contracts nowadays to maybe compare it to in the past? They're signing different, a different artist. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll just stay on this thing and talk about it. Um, uh, so they, they no longer search for talent. They no longer develop talent. They're, they're looking for business partners. They're looking at numbers. They're looking at, at reach. They're looking at engagement. They don't, they're not in the, the making of music business. Most of these, these companies are owned by multinational corporations that their primary business is not music. Okay, so if you were to name some of the record labels, we know Sony is a big one. Can you name some others? Well, why don't we just go to, go to a, I got a slide for that. So let me see if I can find it here. Uh, I have to go back here. Sorry, here it is. There we go. All right, so the, the actually, you know what? I might have a better slide. Where is it? This one. Okay. So one of the things that people are used to is don't the major labels have all the good music? Kind of the question that you asked. Right. And most music, after all the years of, of mergers and acquisitions, there are literally only three major music groups left. Like music so I'm is looking, I'm, I'm looking at the names of them here. Warner Music Group, Sony yep. Music, and Universal. That's it. That's Everybody the three else Yeah, other, other ones, there are, there are other imprints and sub-labels and all that, but almost everybody else of any note falls under one of those three umbrellas. Okay, okay. So you're down to three big guys that are kind of running the whole deal. They're the three that made the deal with Spotify. They're the three, you know, uh, that did all those things. And what's amazing about that is, is they have less than 900 artists that are under an exclusive contract with them right now. If you include all their sub labels, labels and everything, they are less than 8,000 people on the planet that have a major label deal. That so, will tell you how challenging i'd imagine it is as a new and upcoming artist to make it work in that arena and you know when it comes into this whole notion of legacies now i'll, I'll get you back into the your flow in a moment but there are composers there that are coming into mature years now and they have huge legacies what happens to those legacies do well, are, do these groups show interest in purchasing such legacies and showing support for that kind of thing um they like any corporation they want to purchase it for the best price possible so they don't want to pay what is correct one of the things that in this is a whole other subject that i do not have a slide for so there are 
five big players in the legacy part of this, the publishing and uh, songwriting part of it in particular. And those are the three people you see there, their publishing wings and the labels together. But there's also two, two players, Primary Wave and Hypnosis. And Hypnosis is based out of the UK, it's Merck. Um, he's backed by Blackstone, which is a huge financial company. They've got, they're throwing around billions. Uh, Primary Wave is another one that started quite a bit ago. And they, uh, they started out, they really started the trend of going to artists and going two things. One is we want to buy a bunch of your publishing, but we don't want it all. We'll, we'll buy half of it. So you maintain uh, a piece of the publishing. And that's what Merck is doing also. They're going to these artists and going, hey, we don't want to take complete control. We just want to partner with you. Right. Okay. So, so those guys coming into the marketplace really, really created a problem for the major labels because they want to own everything. They want to own and control. They want all your publishing. They want all the record rights, most of the money. And when somebody else said treated them better, it changed everything. It challenged them to think, basically. It challenged them to think, but they also, these early guys in the market, um, whether they were inexperienced or disruptive, and I think, I think they, in some cases, they were a combination of the two. Yes. Yeah. They, they overpaid for a lot of things. Okay. And they drove the market prices up. So now when, when these legacy artists are thinking, you know what, I'm getting old. Uh, I don't, I know my stuff in 20 years is going to be worth 10 times more, but I'm not going to be here in 20 years. So what started happening now is in the last, I'm going to say in the last three to six months, $2 billion have been spent on these assets that you're talking about. And I'm talking about 400 million for Bowie and 500 million for Springsteen. And I mean, I, I presume this is crossing, you're mentioning very popular styles of music, but this is across all genres. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're buying up everything. But, but they're buying up everything of value. Yes. No I one's fighting, fighting for bluegrass or, you know, if they're doing jazz, it's the, you know, like I think the Miles Davis, uh, I think his stuff just, just sold. You know, it's bigger, it's bigger catalog. And they're putting them together for various reasons. Um, so just to explain the process, when these companies buy the legacy from composers or elderly musicians or whatever, they then have the rights to hold on to that legacy. So as it can be in, you know, they can generate royalties through films and through using it in all kinds of ways through programming and TV and even sometimes adverts and all this kind of thing. And that's how they make their money back. Am I correct in that? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, they they do that, but I mean, I mean, those things are being exploited in that way anyway. Yes. They they have some they have some different things. So, the reason that like some of these these artists are getting deals that are only good a good deal, or the only the only certain people would pay them that. Like Springsteen, his entire catalog had always been over it with Sony. He was with Columbia first, and then they got gobbled up and all that. So when he went to sell his, it was much more valuable to Sony to keep it all together, to buy his new masters and his publishing and, and, and. Yeah, full control. And, yeah. So then they've got control of all everything about it. And so, so the, you know, it was $500 million. Incredible. You no, know, and Springsteen's great, but 500 million is a lot. 
It is a lot. It is. And yeah. so, uh, so they were like that. So for I think Warner bought, did the Bowie catalog for four hundred. I mean, Universal like these guys are all. There are certain if, they, if they've got all the legacy, if their record label has all the recordings, and they can get the publishing together, they've got a, a, the whole pie, and they have okay. exclusive. They they have the the domination on that. Yeah. Now some of these other guys are in there disrupting the you know what out of it. So hypnosis and uh, and primary wave, those guys are going in and going. I just want half your publishing, and you they're keeping the artist as a partner. So they're driving those things up in that way, and they're going and buying legacy catalogs. That's you know? very interesting. Very interesting. Very. So interesting. it is. It is caused. Like even my lawyer said, "Hey man, well, we we can get you twenty X on your catalog. You want to sell? Well, not right now. But I mean, yeah. it's uh, even a little guy like me could could probably go and and do a good job. Do a good deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah probably. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a completely different deal. But the fact that that there are only eight thousand artists out of eight million eight billion people—that's telling you how niche it is, how yeah. competitive it is, even just to get in the door. But a well. third of a third of the the money generated, and a third of the people making money on music are indie. So these guys, they don't have the whole market like you would think. Like Indie is really, really becoming a thing. I mean, I've watched it grow over the last number of years. Like, it is becoming a major thing, this whole of, indie scene. I'm trying to think what's the best next thing to do. Okay, well, I'll do this. So I, I think, why don't we go in, when you're talking about dirty secrets, here, here there, are, there, are, there are two big problems in the music business. One of them is you can't get found. So, like, the streaming sites will have basically spotify has 90 million songs with no real way to find them. it's incredible when you think about it 90 million songs i mean how yeah. is a new artist going to be found they're not exactly and not only that but these people that you see kind of in the dark and the shadows over there these are the people that actually run the music business mm -hmm. so it's universal sony warner but it's also it's also you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Amazon, it's Spotify, it's Apple Music. Like if, if you had these companies, you're going to say, hey, we got over 90% of the music business covered. Yes. Of, of all the revenue, of all the things, these guys are running it. And they have a, a thing in the music businesses or in any business, it's called the 80-20 rule. So they say 20% of your clients are going to give you 80% of your money. So don't worry about the other people. Worry about the 20%. Mm -hmm. The other guys that straggle in and out, you don't care about them. Well, these guys are like that, except the music business is worse. It's 80-10. So only 10% of the artists are required to make 80% of their money. Incredible. So they uh, they really, really don't care about independent music. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one of the, the really weird things about Spotify and this is, in some ways, it's Spotify's fault. In some ways, it's not. But when the three major labels did a deal with Spotify initially, they said, okay, we want stock in your company. You guys have a variable rate. We don't want it to fall below X for our artists. We don't care what you do to anyone else. You know, the thing about the major labels, they're in the music business, but they're in the their music business, mm -hmm. not anyone else's. They don't yeah. care. They, they want a rigged game, not a fair fight. Yes. Very so, yeah. so... In, and in keeping with that, their lawyers stuck in a, a, a provision into Spotify's contract that they are still bound by. Mm 
that says the top 10% of songs streamed will receive 90% of the income. So what that does, because they actually only deserve 80%, that extra 10% has to come from somewhere. So the poor 90% of the people making songs, they are taking royalties from them and, and, and paying them unfairly to the major labels. It was a big discussion here last uh, year in my home country here. There was a singer and she was just commenting. And now she had a fairly strong profile when it came to her following and her years of being a singer and so forth. But when she exposed on our national radio here about the truth of what she was earning, people were shocked given her profile. She only came out, I think, was it like two or three thousand euro for the year? in streaming earnings and this lady would be doing concerts all over europe even she'd travel to america canada she'd have a team of people with her and it was more in the folk irish genre but still she was a well-known lady you know had years put behind her people were shocked it yeah. made headlines well i mean the the fact on spotify they they have you're supposed to discover music or new artists because of their great playlists and they have two billion playlist well, the down. only thing i'd ask about spotify then is i presume there's an algorithm at play so the more something is typed into the system the more that song or playlist is going to come up is that a correct assumption in some instances whose playlist is it is it yours or theirs yeah you know it, it like that that's not the the algorithm is one thing but uh, an independent artist, they're not going to stick you on the front page. No, Jeannie, no. They're not going to like, you know, the, the other things. And, and in fact, that there are 10 million songs that have never even been heard once. And part of that's shame on Spotify and part of it's shame on the band. You know, because not well, even... I suppose, I suppose it comes back to our conversation that we had in this previous episode in this series, episode one in this series, where um, you were talking about the marketing element of music. And this is where you've got to be really, in my opinion, an, an independent thinker on how you're going to market your music and develop a very good plan and strategy, get the right people around you when it comes to that point of your journey and make it happen from that point of view. You know what? I'll be honest with you. Um, this game is so bad, the music business right now, that in, in my opinion, it's not savable. That... Uh, the guys here have the music business that they want. They've sewn no, up is what you're saying. Well, they have no incentive to, to change. Yes. An independent artist cannot get a direct deal with Spotify or Apple. They don't want to even talk to them. Yeah. You're a big player. You can talk to them, get somebody on the phone. If you're not, forget it. Try getting mm -hmm. somebody on the phone at Google. Exactly. That's not going to happen, you know. Uh, but if you start, you start getting a bunch of, you know, views on a, on a, a video or a podcast or anything like that, all these guys will talk to you. But but in the in the music business, that that just isn't the case, you know. So uh, my thought is that we need a, a separate business, and that would be a podcast for another time. Um, the other problem we've got, so we got a discovery problem, but then we've got the problem I started alluding to, which is the payment problem. And this is something may, maybe many of your artists don't know. Um, the one thing that's solid, they only pay two people. Spotify, Apple, Tidal, Deezer, all those guys, they go, we can't keep up with all the possible payments and we don't want to. So we're going to give 
to the writer and publisher, somewhere around 50% to the uh, whoever holds the master, and we're going to keep the rest. And everybody else, it's trickle-down economics. Um, there's a really good uh, thing, a really good uh, paper that's, that Citibank did. And I mean, they had a bunch of analysts, and they spent a bunch of time, and they got... They did a really good job for Wall Street people about the music business. They got it about 80% right. But they discovered that at the end of the day, in this situation, only about 12% 12, 12 of the revenue was actually making it to the artists and the musicians who, who made the music. And, you know, when you say that, I think of the amount of soul and effort and hours and everything that goes into creating that artistry. It's unbelievable. And so... Uh, you know, so this is this is the this is the world the way we see it. Like even songwriters, they don't pay songwriters directly; they pay mm -hmm. the publisher. The publisher pays the writer. Yeah. So it's five percent writing, five percent publishing. Um, again, with the with the labels, even on the indie guys, they pay a certain amount of people. And then you've got sound exchange and some other people who who may pay a stipend to a a producer or a studio musicians, but the producer his percentage must come out of the, the artist's percentage. So it's like, it's really, they pit, pit, them, pit them against each other, fighting for the scraps that fall off the table. Um, one of the things that we've been messing around with, and I don't know if it's right to put this here now, but I have, well, I'll go back this way. I've got a bunch of industry people that I've been working with about taking some technology we've got and saying, hey, if we were to, to launch a new streaming site for independence only, what would be a, a better split and how could we directly pay and what would, who would we directly pay? And we came up with something like this where we said, how about if we take the revenue and we kind of balance it out a little better instead of, you know, uh, you know, here's, here's a certain percentage of writers and publishers, the master rights and everybody else. Good luck. We said, why don't we take, uh, take what, you know, since we are within independence, we're, we're much closer to the ground. We know about the recording. We know who's involved. Most of the indie labels, uh, you know, they, the band either record themselves or the indie label helped. But but everybody kind of, it's not like something happened 20 years ago and nobody knows who to find everybody. These guys still remember everything. And so we said, what if we take and say, let's take 20% and call it a production royalty. Set that off to the side. We divide the next part in half. And so if you own the master, you get 40% of the money, not like 55 or, you know, not, not, not way more. You get, you get a, a more fair amount, you know? Uh, and then the other 40% goes to the creative. So we said, let's double the songwriting and publishing royalties to 20% instead of 10. And then let's create a, a performing artist royalty for the band. Um, so if you're Aretha Franklin and you didn't write the song or pay for it, you still get a little respect. So every time a song is streamed on this new platform, we would pay an artist royalty of 20%. Okay. Whether they had the other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so on the production royalty, we would include an 8% producer royalty, which is double what was normal. We would include 8% of the total streaming royalties for the musicians who played on the record. If it's a band, great. If it's somebody else, great. It's prorated. If they get a horn section, they would scare, share in one one share if it's a guitar player i know you played five guitar parts you're only getting one you know a little more balanced stuff it won't be perfect but it'll be more much more just than what's going on and then we actually pay four percent to the to the engineers 
We pay two and a half to the guys tracking it, you know, one point to the to the guy that that mixes it, and a half a point to the mastering engineer. So now we've aligned everybody up to say, here you go, and this is what it would look like. These are how many people are actually involved in a in a production. And this is not a crazy production; it could be a lot worse. But this is a big record, and and our goal with this would be to pay everyone involved, which is all these people. And the label so, can be the label, the backer. I just want to speak about each of these people here. So you've got the sure. label master owner, you've writers and publishers, you've got the artist band themselves, studio mu musicians and singers, producer and arranger, letters of direction there included in the artist band section. Then you've section musicians if they come in under the studio musicians and singers section and engineers. Yeah. So there's, so the, quite, the, there's the, quite a number. There's quite a number. Well, and, and the tan stuff, that's the production royalty that's 20%. Mm -hmm. The red is the artist royalty that's 20%. The purple is the songwriting publishing 20%. And the 40% for the, the master rights holder. And it could be the person who the backer and the label or the backer, the label, the studio invest, whoever, whoever really causes that master to be recorded. And a lot of times it's the band themselves. So in a lot of our cases, the band's the owner, they're the artist, they're the writer, they're the publisher, they played on the record you know one or two of them they might have produced and engineered so they may be getting 90 percent of the money yes yeah you know be, so that yeah. but on the instance that you have an independent label that's really bringing in a lot of people like a major this is how they would be paid yes and i would imagine that a lot of indie musicians would fall in line of the artist band doing a lot of it themselves yes mm. yeah and so it doesn't matter to them the way we've divided the pie up it's all their pie you know, but they bring that engineer that they may have underpaid and he's paid much more correctly. He's got a royalty. That producer, they go, well, I, I paid him. It's a work for hire. <clears throat> we don't recognize that. So we're going, hey, let's do a thing where uh, if you want to be in our system, we pay this way. If you, if you decide that you don't want to pay the engineers or the studio musicians, you don't want double the songwriting royalties. If you want to treat it in a different way, you can't be in the system. Yeah. So what's interesting about this is we would make this retroactive. So all the bands from the old indie things from the past, this, that, and the other, we would pay in this way. Okay. So okay. we could undo a lot of the, the, the past things. And even if the, the artist is dead, we would black box it till we find the correct air. So, this, drums, you know? so this is not an operation yet, what you're speaking about. I think your no. brand name for this is We Get Artists. That's your brand we, name? Yeah, We Get Artists is, is where we're talking to it. But when we launch it, it will be called We Get Music. Okay. And uh, and that then, and again, we we, were, we will be doing a user-centric model. So basically, we'll be paying five to ten times more than the And the when do you hope to launch this? Well, we're in, we're in talks with some big people about stuff. So we should have a beta version uh, probably by summer. And okay. so we'll be testing it. Yeah, we, we're about 80% done. Very good. Yeah, and so we've got to agree. We like, it took us, like, we work with, with all of these people about six weeks on Zoom calls. Is it good for the manager? Is this fair for the, the producer? What about the songwriter? Like, we really kind of work with all these people to say, if we're going to reinvent the music business, let's make it work for everybody. Yes. And we've got buy-in from these guys, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't completely unanimous, but it's, there's one person out of the entire group that had a problem with part of the splits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even, even then when it was explained, 
our way would have paid more than what she was asking for. You know, nice. so it's, you know, it, it, she didn't like it philosophically, but financially, she'd have been very, very happy. Okay. So, okay. So we, you and know, we just I'm back. just thinking here, after what you're presenting in this section here, what would your advice be for an up and coming artist? What would be your biggest piece of advice that you could give an up and coming artist? Um, well, gosh, if we're doing that, I'd go back here. Um, the number one mistakes that I see made is independent artists. They, they read about how you got to drop a single and got to do this, how to do things. And all the things they're reading about are what major labels do. You are not a major label. You can be out of time or out of money. You can't be out of both. Mm -hmm. You most assuredly are out of money. That it is going to take you two or three times more time to do what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, so the biggest problem I see is in the music process, when it comes to making the music, they get to step five where they've made the music, they've distributed to Spotify and the artists and the indie labels think they're done. They don't really account for the marketing. They spend all their money making the record and have nothing left to market. And that is not the way it works. Just because you put something in the stores, people put things on the store shelves all the time. That's called. Yeah, well, sell. They, Simply. you got to have commercials. You yes. got to have flyers. You got to mm -hmm. have marketing. So if you have no marketing, they're going to put on the shelves. It's going to sit there for a while. They're going to take them off the shelves and send them back to you. Yes. Yeah. And so most artists stop at step five in here because they don't really have a team that goes beyond that and then the other thing they spend they'll spend six months making the record you know six weeks making all the marketing materials that doesn't make any sense you've got to have videos and lyric videos and making of and you know you've got to put together an archive and one of yes. the interesting things is when it comes to marketing um one of the number Number one forms of marketing is influencer marketing now. Their estimates could be worth $4 billion in the U.S. in 2022. And influencer marketing, because people don't aren't moved anymore by commercials. We used to go, oh, I saw the commercial. I really want to buy that. Mm. We don't feel that way anymore. No, now it's changed. The whole dynamic of, of purchase relationships has changed, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, now they... they uh, People don't buy what they see in a commercial. They buy what the Kardashians are wearing. Yes, very much. They buy, you know, so influencers. And one of the interesting parts about that is that uh, every musician, every artist is an influencer. Anybody can tell their friends. Everyone has friends. Everyone yeah, but you, you know, I, I, there's, there's an aspect to this, and I think it's all about... Uh, a reality sales pitch, if you will. The Kardashians are selling a reality that appears to be real, like the lives that they show to everybody, reality. And, you know, when you see a musical artist sharing their story and sharing their real life as, it, as they want to put out there in video form or whatever, it makes them a lot more attractive to watch and follow. Well, it's like I said, it's, it isn't any different. You know, it's mm -hmm. still influencer marketing. The, the point that I was trying to make, though, is that normal people have friends. So it used to be Your sound is gone, Barry, your sound. Um, oh, we're back. I, You're back. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, now it says my internet's unstable. Great. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so so everybody has friends. And so that type of marketing, you tell two friends, I'll tell two friends. 
and then, then it goes viral. Well, when you deal with an influencer, they have friends, but they have fans and followers. Yes. So the Kardashians say something, you know, Taylor Swift's got, I don't know, seven to nine million like rabid fans. It'll do almost anything she says. Mm -hmm. And that, the power isn't who you know, it's who knows you. Totally. Beyonce has no idea how many people know her mm. or believe they do. So one of the advantages is that you get a band of five people. I mean, we, we in our system, we think the average uh, artist or musician has about a thousand followers on Instagram or all their social media. Well, if you've got five band, five bandmates, uh, you've got 5,000 followers or people that you can influence in a, in a, in a heartbeat. Um, so one of the interesting things about the music business is everybody involved, almost everybody involved is an influence. So, and you know, I think there's a responsibility attached to that influence that artists need to be educated on as well. Um, Right now, they don't even know how to use it. They don't even half of them know that they are influencers. You know, it's, it's like the ones that are great at it now, but. Yeah, but it's something that I've been kind of contemplating on in recent times, given what's happening in the world and so forth. That, you know, when you look at protest songs and you look at how music influences people in society, artists, no matter who they are, where they're at, they have some level of influence and there's a responsibility attached to what they say, how they behave um all of that because they can impact so many people of all ages your sound is gone yeah but who will, oh there you are who will, i'm sorry who will administer that awesome responsibility who is the judge if they've used their influence correctly or incorrectly well media the fee market feedback will tell you whether you're getting it right or wrong that's my own understanding on it really because I, I i don't know that media necessarily gets it right every time they don't yeah. but if you've if you've a big enough following and everybody says, oh, you got it so badly wrong. Well, then there must be something wrong. But I mean, you don't, you know, it, it depends on size and percentages and stats and this kind of stuff that you've got to get familiar with, I would say. Yeah, I mean, like right now, these guys are fighting to have a, to make a living. Very they're much, not worried, they're not worried much, if, they, yeah. if, they, if they ruffle a feather or offend somebody. Well, they, I have to say, listening to some marketing professionals, they say a bit of controversy really does attract people and repels more. Well, they, they, strategy they, the you line can is, use. there's no such thing as bad press when you're starting out. Yeah. If they're talking about you, they're talking about you. Yeah, just, just make it bigger. Do whatever yeah, that, it takes. Yeah, that's earned media. Like right now we had the Oscars, the first deaf uh, actor, one, you know, like the second deaf actor to win, but an entire movie, you know, featuring so many hearing uh, uh, challenged people won an Oscar. And all we're talking about is uh, somebody got slapped. Okay. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like like that that kind of thing because you know Will Smith. I mean, he to me he. He, in front of millions of people, when we could have been talking about the Ukraine and all these people, and he didn't like a joke, so he got up and attacked somebody. Because we have freedom of speech in our country. Yes. And we have a, here we have people being invaded, and we have freedom of speech shut down in Russia. And at that time, somebody of great wealth, influence, and, and, and privilege decided he didn't like what somebody said, so went up and smacked him in front of millions of people. Oh and my you know goodness, what? I didn't see that. 
Oh yeah, Will Will Smith. You will see it now. It's the news. He smacked Chris Rock because he didn't like a joke. Walked up on oh, stage, smacked him in front of God and everybody. Wow. And no one's going to talk about anything else on these Oscars ever. I mean, while you have the Ukraine-Russian situation. Yeah, while we've got this, while we've got somebody else like Russia, he says, no, the truth won't get through. I'm going to close everything down. No one's going to know. I say it's not a war. We're not really killing people. We don't target civilians. Make sure that nobody finds out the truth. At that time, uh -huh. you know, it's freedom of speech. People are fighting for, for democracy, for votes. Oh, they are. Oh, they are in, in a multi you know, multiple ways. Well, and uh, what's ironic about, yeah, what's ironic about Will Smith is two years ago or three years ago, uh, he and his wife boycotted the Oscars when Chris Rock was hosting because they didn't, they, they were not, no black actors uh, recognized. And they thought that that was outrageous. And so they boycotted the whole thing because they didn't like how the Oscar voting went. That's, now, I understand it's their privilege to do that, but but people voted and certain people won and that's the way it went. Yes. You know, but they yet they wanted to use their influence to change the opinion. Mm. You know, Sean Penn, if you don't, if the Oscars, we're going to hold you hostage. If you don't let Zelensky, you know, politicize the, the Oscars and speak on, about the Ukraine situation, uh, I will melt my Oscar down. You know, like people are starting to to hold hostage, use their fame and fortune to my way, you know, or my the way or the highway kind of thing. Yeah. And so I'm real cautious now. I don't like what Spotify is doing. I don't like the way YouTube pays, but I use them both and I'm not going to lie about it. You know, I'm not going to, you know, those are I don't like what they're doing. I think we can do it better. But to go and try to boycott everything on earth, they're real quick to doing that these days. You know, yes. burn him, he's a witch, you know. Mm. It's like, and so I think we want to be real careful, particularly in the arts. We should be in a different way. We should be above and beyond that. Yes, we can all have political stance and we should use our influence however we see fit. But we don't need to to have a herd mentality on a people that, I'm sorry, we can't be herded. No, and you know, when you look at the world of the arts, um, there's a lot of independent thinkers there that are trying to use their voice in a very productive way. Yeah. And the, the, the side stories that I'm hearing concerning what's going on at the moment, we're recording this episode on the 28th of March in 2022, and there's a Russian-Ukraine situation happening at the current time. But the stories that you don't hear are most interesting. What you'll yeah. hear mainstream-wise is one part of a bigger story altogether. Nobody speaks about the diplomacy that's going on, the talks that are going on behind closed doors. No one is talking about the peace talks that are going on. I know they're, they're, there's a... Actually, in the, in the news, it's, it's, it's a big blast today. Is it? Yeah, I haven't heard the, now the news this morning. But up until yesterday when I was listening to it, I, I wasn't hearing anything, where I am at anyway. Uh, but I was getting I was getting it in from alternative streams of media for sure. Oh, but yeah. I'm talking about mainstream media in contrast. Mainstream media wants you to go down a certain route for the most part in your thinking. Artists have a fierce power in, in terms of how they can influence uh, with their message. And it has happened in the past with, you know, the African-American movement and civil rights and all of that it can happen again. It, well, and, and it will. The, the, the big thing about politics or anything any form of change uh if 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 someone is taking the time to be educated 
then there's they're a voice worth listening to. If they're oh, just totally. emotional and they go off half cocked, they're a drunk at the bar. Yes, they are. Yeah. You know, so there has to be a good foundation to what they're saying. They have to be yeah, well. Every artist I wouldn't listen to and take advice from. I'll put no. it that way. No. About anything. Um, there are great examples of some artists there that are so well tuned in and so well educated. You know, I think of people like Joni Mitchell, for example. She's mm -hmm. interesting to listen to when you hear her doing a lengthy interview. Um, and there's other musicians that I can't remember their names because I don't follow their music intently. But I've seen some amazing interviews on YouTube of particularly the old generation musicians that have been around the block, have seen it all, have the regrets and the tales to tell. And now we're offering lessons to younger musicians and younger artists. They're worth listening to. They're really oh, yeah. worth listening to, 100%. And, and again, like I showed, much of the music business is no different. The processes, the people, the teams that you have to build, they're the same as they've been for, you know, gosh, now I'm thinking not a hundred years, but I'm going to go with at least 75. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the modern music business, you know, once you got into the fifties, it, it became uh, a certain type of business. And yeah. Still what we know now for the most part, I suppose. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. But I just really think. I think if I was an up and coming artist, one of the first things I would do is research and research would involve self-education by watching these lengthy interviews and understanding the nuances of the journey that these older artists have taken down along those years. There's so many golden nuggets to learn from. Yeah, and well, there's, there's also, uh, there are a lot of older people that mentor. Like I, I do a, a conference called Springboard and we, Put on a band boot camp, and I'll bring in you know really high profile people to speak on on subjects, and it's a moving target. The the, yeah. the panels and stuff that I did six months ago, I I, I put them away because mm. we don't believe the same stuff anymore. Yeah, enough stuff. Evolving. You know, well, you got to have a MySpace page, not anymore. You know, yeah, uh, you know, so it's like it's there's the, the the kind of the, the, the decorations are different, mm -hmm. but the tree underneath is still a Christmas tree. Yes. You know, still the so, same. I suppose, you know, going to locations like that and being around those people, I mean, you're, you're heading in the right direction for sure. As a, but as she, I, if, it's something, if, if I don't know anything about it too, I will moderate the panel so I can mm. ask all the questions I want to oh, get. Oh yeah. 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 It's one of the best ways to learn. Sure. Get around the right people, ask the questions. Yeah. And uh, I think that's always a, a, a more, uh, let me go back to our button thing here. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a better way to, uh, uh, you know, to, to do things, to be able to, to learn, you know, you know like they, there's that saying, a, a smart man learns from his mistakes, a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that I believe in. That's a good one. Uh, was Oscar Wilde has a, has a great one. He goes, experience is, is the toughest teacher because it, it gives you the test first, then the lesson. Yes. So if you can learn, experience is a very expensive way to learn. Yeah. Uh, if you can learn I mean, enough, you know, there's, there's excellent networking groups now, you know, with Zoom and all the rest of it. I mean, if I was an up and coming artist trying to get my feet under me, I'd be researching all this, going into networking groups, learning from other people that already are on their journey learning the nuances of the ups and downs of it all. And I mean, what, you're, what you presented in the last episode, I'd recommend anyone to go back and listen to the last episode because what you're looking at in front of you now, 
um, if you understand the music jungle in this format, you're putting yourself in a right position to go ahead and make the success, hopefully, of, of what you hope to achieve. Now, Barry, what's in the next episode? Well, I thought you'd never ask. One of the things that, that I do, my, my day job, is I have a company called MusicSupervisor.com and we place music in movies. And my background is I've placed over 200 songs in movies. I've had number one hit TV themes. I've been Emmy nominated, which means I'm an Emmy loser. But uh, I know quite a bit about writing songs for film and TV. So I will do a quick class, per se, about how to write songs. If you want to write songs that are more syncable or more placeable in films and TV and advertising, I can whip you through. Like, I, I believe that this, the information I can give you rather quickly will probably double your chances of getting plays. There's a lot of little things that once I tell you, you'll go, oh, but of course. That's a bonus episode and a half. <laughs> <laughs>